Again, welcome to our service tonight. Glad that you are a part of it. Do be in prayer for our pastor. Our pastor's in Michigan. Tonight he was actually speaking at Phil Neder's church there in Grayling, but be in prayer for him. We certainly miss him as he's gone visiting family there, but looking forward to having him back with us on Sunday. Want to encourage you Wednesday night, seven o'clock, we have online, we're continuing our series, Letters to the Church in Banning, where we have different pastors, different evangelists that will be speaking uh, through video to us and this Wednesday night looking forward to having with us Morris Gleiser he's been here several times before and preached revival services for us and looking forward to hearing a message that he has uh, prepared from God's Word for us so Wednesday night seven o'clock let me encourage you to be a part of that service if you have your Bible there and I hope you do take your Bible out turn to the book of Nahum Nahum we are going through a little bit of a study in the minor prophets and the minor prophets are books that you hear the word minor the idea of minor prophets and you start thinking we got major prophets minor prophets so the minor prophets is not as big of a deal as the major prophets but that's not how they are set up minor prophets just mean it is a smaller book and so when we come to these minor prophets they are smaller books but they have a great message and I know sometimes I know you reading your Bible through you get to this, this section of the Bible and get into these minor prophets and sometimes it can just sort of bog you down and you have questions as far as what exactly is going on here. And we come to a book today of Nahum where we're going to be introduced to a very, very important subject that everyone likes sometimes. Let me give you an example. I have noticed one thing about my kids. My kids love when judgment is handed out to their siblings. For instance, I don't know if any of you that have ever had to, your children of your own or dealing with children, and one of them gets in trouble, and you begin to talk to them. <laughs> My kids, one of their first defenses is, but they were doing it too. Or they, they like to come and run and tell you when one of their siblings has done something wrong. Why? Because they like the idea of justice. They like the idea of judgment being passed. And one of the things that we are going to see in this book of Nahum is that God is a God of justice. And we're going to see how important that is because this is a part of the very character of God. This is a part of the, who God is. Because as a Christian, isn't that our goal, to know who God is? That's why we get into God's Word, to know who God is. Why do I want to know who God is? Because I am supposed to be becoming more and more like Him. More and more like, who is God in the flesh? Jesus Christ. So I want to know who God is. And when we look at this idea of justice, what we're going to see here in Nahum, uh, start in verse number 1. Nahum 1.1 says, The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkoshite. So what are we seeing right here in the very beginning as we're introduced? We're first introduced to the man who is going to write this book, who the book gets its name from, Nahum. Now, what do we know about Nahum? We know a little bit more than what we knew about Obadiah, because Obadiah, we didn't really know where he was from. So we, we know from Nahum where he's from. But here's where he's from, Elkoshite. Where is that at? Bible scholars aren't really sure. They don't know. There's different ideas. Some think it may be a city in northern Iraq, maybe in, in southern Judah there. And, and, and there are some people, Capernaum. 
Capernaum means the city of Nahum. And so they believe this may be the Nahum that Capernaum is named after. But nobody knows for sure. And again, as we talked about last week with Obadiah, what is the importance that we see just right here? The idea that the person delivering the message is not what's the most important thing. The message is what is the most important thing. And as we look at our own lives, as we go out and deliver God's message to people, it is about His message. It's so easy to make it all about me. And we're going to look at some truths from this book of Nahum that I believe will help us today. First truth we're going to look at is the Lord displays His justice in bringing wrath upon a rebellious world. Pick it up in verse number two. God is jealous. And the Lord revengeth, the Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet." We go and continue in verse number six. Who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Verse number eight, but with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof and darkness shall pursue his enemies. What do ye imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. For while they be folded together as thorns, and while they are drunken as drunkards, they shall be devoured as stubble fully dry. When you read this passage, we see a God of judgment. And I don't know about you, but when you first read through this, it's easy to see a God that is harsh, a God that is unloving, and a God that does not care. And if we're not careful sometimes, we can take Scripture and look at it and say, this is who God is. In fact, many people want us to believe that is who God is. Somebody who does not care, somebody who hates people. But you know what we have to get is the proper context of what's going on here. Go back up to verse number one and see something very, very important. The burden of Nineveh. Nahum is writing this about the people of Nineveh. That city should sound very familiar. It is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, but that more than likely is not the reason that we think of Nineveh. We think of Nineveh because of another minor prophet, Jonah. Remember Jonah? Nahum is like the sequel to the book of Jonah. (laughs) Jonah part two, maybe. But what we're going to see is the same people that God sends Jonah to with a message of judgment, and they turn back to God. Nahum is written 100 to maybe 200 years after the book of Jonah. So these are the same people. These are the people that are very, very brutal. And history records how brutal these people were. And these are the people that God is going to judge. 
verses 6, 8, and 9 sort of describe the destruction that is going to happen to this city. History tells us that the Babylonians and Medes teamed together to defeat Nineveh. How do we apply this? We speak up for what is right, trusting God to justly dispense evildoers as he will. God is a God of justice. Now, one thing that if we're not careful we can struggle with is we feel as if we're the ones that need to hand out the justice. In fact, that's what Jonah wanted to do a hundred years earlier, is to hand out the justice to these people because they had done wrong. Because we sit there and say, God, why don't you judge? But here is what my responsibility is to do, to speak up for what is right and to let God handle everything else. I like to make myself, to put myself in that sort of framework that I'm the one that's going to make the decisions on this. God, if you, would let, if you would do it the way that I think you should do it, it would be much, much better. But that is not. I'm not God. His ways are above my ways. His thoughts are above my thoughts. And how foolish is it for me to believe that I know how to perfectly hand out justice in these situations? You know, today there's this idea that we would read a, a chapter like this in Nahum and people are like, well, that's not the God I picture. That's not the God that I think of. Because the God that I think of is love. Is God love? Absolutely He is. But God is also judge. And He is also just and he will judge iniquity. And so when we come to this passage and we read it and we see him talking about destruction, this is just as much God when we come to the portions of Scripture that we maybe like a little bit more. But God will be just. God will judge sin, as he did here. But my job is to do what's right and not to worry about how we think God should hand out judgment. Believe that to him. The second point we look at today is we witness the Lord's justice through his power at work in the natural world. You know, you see some of these things that are mentioned here in uh, chapter 3. The Lord is slow to anger. By the way, I, I love, or verse 3, I love that part. Look at what it said, verse number 2 and verse 3 almost seem like they don't go together, right? The, uh, God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. So you read that verse, and this is where many people get their idea of God. He's sitting up there in heaven, looking down on earth like, I can't wait to judge people. I can't wait until they make a mistake so that they can be in trouble. That's how many people imagine God. And they could go to a verse like this and say, look, this, this is saying that's who he is. But look at verse 3. The Lord is slow to anger. Say, wait a minute. 
How can you have verse 2 and 3 right next to each other because those seem to contradict each other about the nature of God? Again, remember who this is written to. The people of Nineveh. God has already given them great forgiveness. Has already not destroyed them when they deserved it. So yes, he is slow to anger. But you read through this and you're going to see the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him and the hills melt and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand? before his indignation. We see mentioned several natural things that God can use to bring judgment. In fact, throughout Scripture, we see where God uses nature, animals, different things to show people what it is he wants them to know. Genesis chapter 6, we see the flood. God used the flood to judge the world. The plagues of Egypt in Exodus 7 through 12. We see those 10 plagues, how God used those 10 plagues to judge the people in Egypt and to show who God is. And I believe one of the great ones is Jonah. Think about how God uses a fish. I mean, it's so very, very unique. God could have done anything to get Jonah to go back. But he chose to use Jonah getting thrown out of a boat, getting swallowed by a fish, and spit out onto dry ground. Now think about it. Can you imagine what Jonah looked like when he went into Nineveh? what he would have been like as he walked to get to Nineveh as this fish spit him up on dry ground. Can God use nature? Absolutely. Why? Because God's in control of it. History tells us, verse number 8 here, but with an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. It mentions a flood being used. You know what history tells us about this time? Is that the Tigris River, which was right outside the walls of Nineveh, overflows. And was at a, such a flood stage that it, it tore part of the wall of Nineveh down. And this is... How? Because Nineveh was such a huge place. and they, they thought they were safe. The city is 10 miles of a circumference. The walls are 100 feet tall and wide enough for three chariots. And this city was built to survive a 25-year siege. And they felt as if their city could withstand any army that came against them. And God says, I can use nature to show you who was in control. Think about those 10 plagues in Egypt. Understand that each one of those plagues was against an Egyptian god, showing the Egyptians that that sun that you're worshiping 
I can make it to stop shining. Showing them that the God of Israel was the true God. And this is what he's going to show the people of Nineveh. He uses sometimes these natural things as wake-up calls. Sometimes he uses them as a sign to the people that whatever it was they thought was their God, as we just mentioned, that son, that it's not God, that there is a true God. And we apply this by recognizing God's sovereign power and righteousness that are evident in authority over the created order and moral realm. God, who created everything, is still over everything. God did not just create this world and sit back and watch what's going to play out. He still is in control. We talk about this year as a year that nobody could have ever imagined what is going on. God knew. We look to the future, and I know for many we have questions about how is everything going to play out. God knows. God's not just sitting back there and saying, let me see how this works, as a deist would believe. He's in control of everything. He knows what's going on, and we need to trust Him. I believe one of the great examples of God being in control of nature, we see on the Sea of Galilee. In Mark chapter number 4, a storm arises. Remember, Jesus is sleeping. They go and they wake Him because they're afraid. And Jesus comes, and what does it say in verse number 39? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Just him speaking, which to me, every time I read that, it reminds me of Genesis chapter number 1. Remember how he created everything? By speaking it into existence. The disciples marvel, it says in verse 41, and they feared exceedingly and said one to another, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him. God is in control of everything. We like to feel like we're in control, don't we? But oftentimes it takes nature to remind us that we're not. An earthquake. You, many of you have grown up in California, so you're, you're used to earthquakes. But I remember the first time I felt an earthquake. It's just a strange feeling. And that idea, I, I, I remember growing up in Indiana, hearing about how California is going to have the earthquake and fall into the ocean. When an earthquake happens, we're not in control. Growing up in Indiana, the, the natural thing that would happen there would be something called a tornado. You can't stop a tornado. God's in control of all that. And I have to realize that he is overall and in control of all. And that leads us to our last point today. God shows his justice in offering his love to a sinful world. Now I know we just love. (laughs) Have you read what you're saying right here? God is judging He is jealous, he revengeth, 
He is furious. Vengeance on his adversaries. How can you say we see love right here? Go down to verse number 7. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. We've just read about how there would be this judgment. It would come to the people of Nineveh. But the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust him. Let's go back to the book of Jonah. I want you to think for a moment. Remember what Jonah wanted? He wanted exactly what Nahum is describing right here. That's what he wanted. In fact, why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Now, there's a lot of ideas out there. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to go to Nineveh because I would be afraid. This was a brutal, brutal people. And history records just how brutal they were. They would conquer cities and they would behead many people and set the heads out there as a, a sign that you should not be like this. They, they would skin people and take the skin and put it on the walls of a city to show people that you should not go against us. I mean, this was a brutal place. In fact, one king of Israel is led away by a cow ring in his nose. So when I think of Jonah not going, I would say, I don't want to go because I'm afraid that for me to go there and say, hey guys, you're wrong. <laughs> I wouldn't want to see what they're going to do to me. But you know, Jonah actually tells us why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And we find that in Jonah chapter number four, last chapter there, verse number one, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. What displeased Jonah exceedingly? Because Jonah in chapter number three gets into Nineveh and he preaches the message that God has for him. And you know what happens? One of the greatest revivals we ever see. The entire city turns to God. Now, you would think Jonah a missionary sent from God to send a message. This should be one of the greatest things and one of the most exciting things he had ever seen and ever been a part of. I, I can't imagine going to a huge city like this and, and preaching and in just a matter of days, the entire city turning to God. But the Bible says he's angry. Why is he angry? And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. So he's saying, this is what I was afraid of. That's what he's saying. Hey, back, in, back when I was there, back when I was going to Joppa to get on that boat, to go to Tarshish, this is exactly what I was afraid of. What? Afraid of the people turning to God? Look at what he says here. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Jonah was upset because God had chosen to forgive these people. Jonah just wanted judgment. 
Jonah wanted the fireball coming down to heaven. In fact, in Jonah chapter 4, you see he leaves the city and he goes outside and basically watches to see, will God destroy Nineveh? But he doesn't. Yet. Why? Because the Lord is good. The Lord is good. He is always good. You know, Psalm 100, verse number 5 says, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. How? How can we look at Nahum chapter number 1, and really chapters 2 and 3, just go into greater detail about the judgment that would happen to the city of Nineveh, to the Assyrian Empire? How can we look at this and say, The Lord is good? That's why we've got to understand this follows Jonah. Because he had given the people a chance to repent. And we see in just a matter of really one generation to maybe two generations, the people have gone right back to where they were. And now God is going to judge. Because God is long-suffering. God shows mercy. We are so thankful for the mercy of God when it comes to our lives. But if we're not careful, we're not as thankful when we see God display His mercy in someone else's life. Because those are the situations where we want to see the justice of God brought down. Because God is just, but God is good and God is love. Not only is He good here because He has given them a chance to repent, but we also see that he is good because he is protecting his people. He was delivering his people. Verses 12 through 15 talks about this. Thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet and likewise many, yet thus shall they be cut down. When he shall pass through, though I have afflicted thee, I will afflict thee no more. For now will I break his yoke from off thee and will burst thy bonds in sunder. And the Lord hath given a commandment concerning thee, that no more of thy name be sown out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image. I will make thy grave, for thou art vile. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. O Judah, keep thy solemn feast, perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He is utterly cut off. God has judged. Why is that? Because verse number 7 says, He is a stronghold in the day of trouble, and He knoweth them that trust in Him. Yes. Yes, God brings judgment. But even in judgment, God is good. Because that's His nature. That is who He is. You know what? Jonah had to understand that God was good even when he felt as if justice was not given in the way he thought it should be. Nahum has to understand that God is good even though maybe he looks at the justice that is going to come out of this and say, God, why do all this? Because God is good and God is just. How do we apply this? We understand that God is still just and righteous when He offers mercy to sinners because He is being true to His very nature. I am so glad that God has shown me mercy. He's shown me mercy and salvation. 
but he shows me mercy every single day. Think of your own life. How merciful has God been to you? He is so good to each and every one of us. And the book right before this, Micah, I want to read just a couple verses to you. Micah 7, verse 18. says, Who is a God like unto thee, that pardoneth iniquity, and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because, look at what it says here, he delighteth in mercy. He delighteth in mercy. Can I say in my own life, this is a characteristic that if I'm going to be growing more like him, I need to learn to delight in mercy. Because if we're not careful, we can delight in judgment and begrudgingly give mercy. We can delight in somebody getting in trouble. But when it comes to mercy, we're, we don't really want to give that out. But that's not God. He delights in giving mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You know, when you see Nahum, to me, the key verse in this entire book is verse number seven. Because the Lord is good. He is a stronghold. You know what this verse teaches us? What God is. He is good, and he is a stronghold. It tells me what he does because he is there in the day of trouble. He takes care of us. He takes care of us sometimes in the way we don't necessarily like when there is judgment that comes upon us. But understand who he is. And then he shows us what you must do. We must hide in him every day. He knoweth them that trust in him. When we read Nahum, we've got to remember Jonah. Because Jonah is used as this great example of God showing mercy, of God being long-suffering, and giving the people a chance to repent, and they do. But we see in the book of Nahum that God's nature is he must deal with sin. We have to understand that our Christianity in many ways today just wants everybody to say, God is love, God is good. We have people in, in, that would call themselves Christians that they would say the main reason that God is there. And basically the way they describe him is like a, a genie. You know, give a prayer to God and God will give you whatever you want. But God is good. God is good when I agree with what he's doing and when I don't agree with what he's doing. He still is good. God is good when everything in my life is going right and when it feels like everything in my life is falling apart. God is still good. I can't forget that. It's easy for me to, yeah, God's good when everything's going good. But he still is good when it's not. And I've got to understand that. Because I've got to understand the nature of who he is. Of what he is all about. And I've got to trust him. 
The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. You'll make no mistake about it. God has shown us mercy because each and every one of us deserve to spend eternity separated from God forever. That's what each and every one of us deserve. That's what I deserve. And Theo said it this morning, we're all sinners. There's just the person that has not repented of their sin yet and trusted in Jesus Christ as their only way to heaven and the person that has repented of their sin and has trusted in Jesus Christ. God has shown us mercy, but judgment will come. Judgment will come to all those that have not trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. You know, as a Christian, we want to go and share that message with them because we know the truth. We know that God's good. We know who He is, but we also know that God is just, and He will judge sin. And by the way, even after we're saved, God judges sin. He does. But we must trust Him. No matter what, this, this time that we're going through right now, where I know many people having just difficult situations coming up, He's still good. He's still good. Look to Him. And make, when you look to Him, make our goal in life to be like Him. And how do we get like Him? By growing closer to Him. And that's got to be our goal. To grow closer to Him. So we can be like him because he's always good. Dear God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would help. I'm, I'm so glad. So glad that, that you give mercy to sinners like me. And I pray if there's somebody that has never experienced that mercy, that they will, they will come to you and experience that mercy. And I, I, I pray for, for those of us that have been saved. Let us understand who you are. Let us realize that you are a God of love, but you are a just God. You're not a God that is there wanting us to make those mistakes, but you're a God that is there that is wanting what is best for us. And that we need to trust you because you do love us. You know us. God, we thank you for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Guys, thanks for being with us tonight. Again, I want to encourage you. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, jump on here, and we will look forward to a message from Morris Gleiser. Next Sunday, looking forward to having our pastor back with us, and he'll be preaching for that 9 a.m. and 10.30 service there. If there's anything we can do for you throughout the week, please do let us know, and we'll be praying for you and look forward to, uh, to meeting together on Wednesday night. You guys have a great rest of your night.